0: they can expect the things that they will have to endure micah chapter 7 page 935 what misery is mine i am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard there is no cluster of grapes to eat none of the early figs that i crave The godly have been swept from the land. Not one upright man remains. All men lie in wait to shed blood. Each hunts his brother with a net. Both hands are skilled in doing evil. The ruler demands gifts. The judge accepts bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright, worse than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchmen has come. The day God's visit you, God visits you. Now is the time of their confusion. Do not trust a neighbour. Put no confidence in a friend. Even with her who lies in your embrace. Be careful of your words. For a son dishonours his father. A daughter rises up against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the members of his own household. But as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Saviour. My God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him I will bear the Lord's wrath. Until he pleads my case and establishes my right. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. Then my enemy will see it and will be covered with shame. She who said to me where is the Lord your God. My eyes will see her downfall. Even now she will be trampled underfoot like mire in the streets. The day for building your walls will come. The day for extending your boundaries. In that day people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt. Even from Egypt to the Euphrates and from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. The earth will become desolate because of its inhabitants as a result of their deeds. We end our reading of God's word there. page 975 of the church bible Matthew chapter 10 page 975 I've been looking in the last few weeks at Matthew chapter 10 and we've seen how it's the second of five blocks of teaching in Matthew 5 sermons that he's compiled from Jesus teaching and it's focused on mission we have the Lord of the Harvest sending out harvest workers and instructing them. So far we've thought about the need for workers, we've looked at Jesus' instructions on how to work and last week we saw how Jesus warns them to expect opposition and today we're going to look at how to cope with opposition and how to cope with suffering in the cause of Christ as we go about his work. I'm going to read from verse 26 and this is a really beautifully written section that just it flows from one section into the next. There are clearly different sections within it, but it's quite hard to tell where one ends and where one starts. It's full of parallels uh, and repetition, so it's easy to get into your mind. It's easy to even to memorise. It's a beautifully written section. Matthew chapter 10, verse 26, page 975. I'll read from verse 24. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before, acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But Whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father. A daughter against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me. Is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross. And follow me. Is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life. Will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake. Will find it. He who receives you. Receives me. And he who receives me. Receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward and anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward and if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple i tell you the truth he will certainly not lose his reward we end our reading of god's word there Matthew chapter 10 page 975 and our theme this morning is suffering in mission. Suffering in mission. It's a weighty subject we have today. So I want to introduce a hero of mine to help us understand this weighty subject. Adoniram Judson was a missionary to Burma or to Myanmar as it's known now. From 1813 to 1850. And Adoniram Judson knew the cost of mission. He knew what it was to face opposition. He knew what it was to suffer in mission. Burma at the time was a dangerous country, it was hostile and unreached, it was war torn. All the previous missionaries had either been killed, died from disease, or left. William Carey, a man known as the father of modern missions, great missionary hero, even he told Judson not to go to Burma. Judson went and he ministered there for 38 years. During those 38 years, he had a lifelong battle with malaria, with dysentery, with cholera. On the mission field, he lost two wives and seven of his 13 children. His first wife, Anne, gave birth to three children. Their firstborn was stillborn on the way to Burma. Their second, a son called Roger, died aged just 17 months. And their third, Maria, died aged just two. He was separated from his family. He went home just once in all those years. News from home took two years to reach him. And after leaving, he never again saw his father, mother or brother ever again. He spent 17 months in prison. During the day, his feet were chained together. And at night, the prison guards would put a bamboo pole through the chains of all the prisoners and hoist it up. Until they were hanging upside down with only their shoulders touching the ground. And they would stay like that all night. And at night time the mosquitoes would come in from the swamp and feed on their bloodied feet. And the pain literally drove men mad. As months in prison took their toll on his wife Anne. Her health suffered and she died 11 months later. Six months after Anne died, baby Maria died. It's just two when that happened judson was plunged into darkness self-doubt despair spiritual desolation he withdrew into the, the jungle in burma he lived in a small hut beside the hut he dug a grave and he spent his day sitting staring into the grave contemplating death and here's his words at that time god is to me the great unknown I believe in him. But I find him not. Tremendous suffering. And yet he endured it. He endured it. And why did he endure such suffering? So that the people of Burma. Might hear about Jesus. So that he could speak the gospel. To the people of Burma. And all the things that he endured. That was the cost. Of mission. The suffering. In mission. I've been thinking in recent weeks. Of, as we've looked at Matthew 10. How the Bible teaches. We're all missionaries. Mission isn't just something that's done. Far away in unknown lands. It happens right here. We're all people entrusted to carry the good news. We're all to proclaim that. Jesus is the king. And that he's come to save. And to judge. I want to take this message to the people. Across the fence from us. We take this message to the children growing up in our homes. We take this message to the unbelieving spouses, brothers, sisters, children, to the people that you share the office with, to the people that you speak to over coffee time, to the people you meet at the school gate. Carrick Fergus Town is our mission field. And friends, as we go about this mission, we will suffer. We will suffer. And we have suffered. Satan will attack your family worship time in your home. And seek to distract you from it. And do all he can to disrupt it. People that we have invested ours in have broken our hearts. We know, we've known discouragement. Even despair in our outreach efforts. We suffer separation from our loved ones. We separated from Trinity and came here. Separated from loved ones who have gone other places to tell the gospel. Or separated because loved ones don't want to hear from us. Because we speak to them of Christ. We will suffer and we have suffered in this mission. So the question I want to think about this morning is how do we cope? How do we cope with suffering in mission? We have this morning not the ABC of suffering in mission. But the D-E-F of suffering and mission. Hopefully that helps us to remember what Jesus is teaching in these verses. First of all, verses 26 to 31. Do not fear. Do not fear. Remember the previous verses that we looked at yesterday. Jesus is outlining the opposition that they can expect to face and how to respond to it. And opposition that they'll face is a danger. But the greater danger for the disciples and for us is that we're silenced through fear. That we're silenced by fear. It's one thing to be silenced by other people. It's worse to be silenced because of fear. So Jesus gives two reasons not to fear. Two reasons not to be silenced. Verse 26 to 27. Don't fear because the truth will emerge. Verse 28 to 31. Don't fear. Because God cares for you. The first reason not to fear. Truth will emerge. There are some things that are concealed at this present time that are hidden. People tell lies about us and the truth is concealed from people. People do things in secret against us that are wrong. And yet they're hidden. The glory of Jesus is hidden from most people. They don't see it. But verse 26. Do not be afraid. There's a little word not translated in the church bible. For nothing is concealed. That will not be disclosed. Do not be afraid. For nothing is concealed. That will not be disclosed. These words concealed and disclosed. And hidden and make known. In Matthew they have a sense of referring to the end times to the last judgement to God's great revealing to that day when there will be a final settling of all accounts when there will be a vindication of all of God's people when every act of persecution will be disclosed before everybody and the things that we've suffered and endured that that nobody knows about they'll be revealed and made known Jesus in his splendour and his glory will be made known And so he tells us, do not fear. Do not fear hidden hardship in the cause of Christ. Don't fear the manager who dislikes Christians and yet who uh, who, who stunts your progress or who bullies you and no one sees it. Don't fear. Don't fear the neighbour who sets out to to slander you or to to hinder your witness to the other neighbours. Don't fear those people who think that you are soft and weak and needing a crutch for support. Don't fear that Jesus won't get the glory that he deserves to get. will be seen someday. There's a time of revealing coming. The day when the curtain will be drawn back and everything will be seen. All the hardships that you've endured for the cause of the gospel will be seen every sin will be called to account people will praise jesus for the grace which sustained you in all those difficult moments and his glory will no longer be hidden but every eye will see and every knee will bow before the king of glory do not be afraid truth will emerge truth will emerge The second reason that Jesus gives not to be afraid. God cares for you. Do not be afraid. Because God cares for you. Verse 28. Don't fear those who can only kill just the body. Rather fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell forever. Do you see the contrast that Jesus is setting up? Man can only do so much. Man can only kill the body. God can destroy body and soul in hell forever. But Jesus goes on to say, But you, his people, who trust him, who love him, you don't need to fear him. You don't need to fear him. He gives an example. Sparrows, common as mud, an everyday normal bird. And yet, when one sparrow flaps and flutters, And stutters in its flight and falls, crashing into the mud. That little sparrow is in the hand of our Father. And our Father knows where it's fallen. And our Father knows why it's fallen. But more, that sparrow has fallen because our Father has let it fall. Because it's in his hand. A tiny, little, common sparrow can't fall to the ground apart from God. But you, even the hairs on your head, are numbered. God has put every hair on your head. He knows how many. Google tells us that the average uh, number of blonde hairs on a person's head is 140,000. Burnett has an average of 110,000. Black-haired people, 108,000. And the redheads, just 90,000. But there's no average with God. He knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. But every morning when I get out of the shower, and increasingly so, there are hairs in the bathtub. More and more My hairline is receding. And so every morning God adjusts his records. That's the level of care and concern he has for us. Such care. Even I don't know how many hairs are on my head. God knows me better than I know myself. Do not fear. Even a sparrow can't fall and die apart from God. Even a hair on your head can't fall out. Apart from God. God is interested even in the deaths of sparrows. But you? Not even a hair can fall out apart from Him. He's even more interested. Verse 31. You are worth more than many sparrows. You're worth more than many sparrows. Just think about that. Think about His application. God controls the pouncing of the cat upon the sparrow. God controls Satan's attacks on you and your family In all those times he seeks to distract and disrupt family worship when you teach your children the gospel. God controls when one tiny little sparrow is forced over the edge of the nest by its bigger siblings in the rush for food. God controls when you feel the sting of a sibling's words because of their resentment against God. Or the harshness of family's tongue for the sake of the gospel. God controls when one little sparrow can't get airborne because of exhaustion. God controls when you feel that mind and body-numbing weariness and exhaustion that comes from serving him in the cause of the gospel. As we go about our duties and our responsibilities as individuals and as a church, he controls when we feel that immobilizing weariness. Judson said in the midst of all his difficulties and trials, and just picture what he endured in those 38 years as you hear these words if I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. Think about those words for a minute. Think of all they suffered. If I had not felt certain that every additional trial was not allowed to happen, but ordered By infinite love and mercy. I cannot have endured my accumulated sufferings. He knew that God is concerned for sparrows and for hair and for his people. So do not fear. Do not fear. Secondly, verses 32 to 38. Embrace the cost. Embrace the cost. Love Care, concern like this demands a response from us. In verses 32 to 33, Jesus tells us what response this requires. It requires that we we confess our allegiance publicly. That we acknowledge publicly who our Lord is. And when we do this, it will bring trouble. In fact, so sure is it to bring trouble that Jesus is able to say in verse 34, that he's come not to bring peace, but a sword verse 35 to 37, it's going to cost us even our closest relationships. In verse 38, it's going to cost us even our lives. Our witness, acknowledging our king will bring trouble. What does Jesus mean by not peace but a sword? These words are difficult for for people. It's the opposite of what we expect today. Uh, People think of... Of little baby Jesus and peace and and goodwill to all. And yet Jesus says I've come not to bring peace but a sword. Jesus does bring peace. In chapter 5 verse 39 he says blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. He is the son of God. He is a peacemaker. But here Jesus is using hyperbole. He's speaking shockingly to get the point across. It's not just peace that he brings there will always be an angry, violent reaction. It's not a literal sword he brings. In chapter 26 verse 52 he says. All who draw the sword die by the sword. It's not a literal sword that he, he brings. But it's, it's a metaphor. It's a picture. It's a metaphor for conflict and suffering. He's telling us that we can be sure that mission will bring conflict. And he, he He alludes to Micah chapter 7, that chapter that we read, and and he, he does so to say, look friends, it's always been this way. The prophets, they suffered from wicked people in their day, you are going to suffer as well. Even to the point of dividing families and setting families against each other. You must be willing to lose even family for the sake of the gospel. Some of you know that. It's cost you a relationship in your family. Now there's iciness and coldness. It's cost you a life partner. Even if not separated physically, there's a, an emotional distance. Some, you have a son, a, a daughter, a parent who's got little to do with you because of your faith. And some face outright hatred from family. It's going to cost us our families. It's going to cost more than just family. It's going to cost us even our very lives. Verse 38. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. The cross was an instrument of torture and death. To carry the cross brought scorn and mockery as you carried it to the place of execution. To carry the cross was a public disgrace. And you taking it up was a sign of your intention to die. A sign that you were going to die. And you had no future and no control over circumstances. And Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And for some it is physical death. Our brothers and sisters in various parts of the world are dying this day because of the gospel. It's not really the case here. For most of us, the death we have to die is dying to our wants and our desires. We have to be willing to lose everything. Willing to let go of all that we want. That means that whenever you want to put the feet up. It means going to a Friday nightclub or preparing the Sabbath school lessons or uh, heading out to coffee stop on the midweek. It means when we don't want to talk to our neighbour, we don't want to engage them in conversation, we don't want to, to try and, and speak to them about spiritual matters. It means dying to that and doing it. It means when uh, a Saturday night comes and we want to do our own thing means getting out the sabbath school books and preparing the lesson it's dying to ourselves and all that we want to do it's the keeping going in the, in the face of, of tiredness and exhaustion and wanting to stop it's dying to self sometimes i think we can be a little hard on ourselves uh, we can read verses like this and in one sense we think you know we don't really carry the cross we're not dying for our faith we have it easy here and that, that is true, but at the same time, we shouldn't overlook all the little dying to the self that we go through every day. It's not costing us much in terms of our lives, but it's costing us in the battle with sin. It's costing us comfort, it's costing us time to watch the TV programs we want, to read the books we want, it's costing us uh, time with friends, it's costing us time with our families small things but all of it is dying to ourselves and our own desires are you ready for this level of commitment willing to lose family and even life are you ready for this level of commitment or is family an idol to us think of the answers to these questions Who's your priority? Family or God? Who would you sacrifice more for? Who are you more scared of losing? Whose presence do you miss the most? Brother, sister, father, mother or God? We need to be willing to lose it all for Jesus. Judson knew this cost and he was willing to bear it. He knew when he went out to Burma it wasn't going to be easy. Remember, William Carey told him not to go. Here's what he wrote to his future father-in-law before he set off. He was asking permission to marry his daughter and to take uh, Anne with him out to Burma. Here's what he wrote to his future father-in-law. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this life. Whether you can consent to her departure And her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean. To the fatal influence of the southern climate of India. To every kind of want and distress. To degradation, insult, persecution and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to this? Can you consent to all of this? Will you embrace the cost of telling people about Jesus? Judson got it. He embraced the cost. Don't fear. Embrace the cost. Thirdly, verse 39 to 42. Foresee the reward. Foresee the reward. Why would you embrace this cost? Why go through all this willingly like Judson did and like so many others? have done verse 39 whoever finds his life will lose it whoever loses his life for my sake will find it dying to self is the path to life dying to self is the path to life these verses are full of the language of reward speaks of the reward for the prophet the reward for the righteous man The reward even for one who does the smallest act of kindness to the, the least important person conceivable, Even a cup of cold water to a little child. There's a reward for that. The reward is life. Real, full, everlasting life. Joy filled life. Peace filled life. Worship filled life service filled life tear empty life pain empty life sin empty life death empty life that's the reward that's the life that we get as reward and so as you serve as you literally pour out glasses of juice for little children foresee the reward she cut out shape after shape after shape and mind numbing repetition for a craft foresee the reward as you leave family and familiarity and you think back to what we enjoyed in Trinity foresee the reward when you get up to go out on the, the, the pastoral visit elders when, when you have when you, you, difficult things to do in your oversight of the church foresee the reward. As you bear mockery and ridicule and bullying in school or in work, foresee the reward. As you struggle with separation from loved ones who have gone from here for this cause, foresee the reward. Remember the reward. When I spent time in Ballyclare working with uh, David Sutherland, one of the things we did was went out washing windows in the community and Early on I made a throwaway remark one day, I said, You know, Davy, we can make some amount of cash doing this, charging a few pounds for each window we do. Davy said to me, Joel, treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. We were out for the sake of the gospel, freezing cold, washing windows with, with dirty cold water and dying ourselves and our own desires. And Davy reminded me, we have our reward. And all of us, when we get to heaven, will hear, well done, good, faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Do you think Adoniram Judson thinks about the cost now? Do you think he looks back and regrets it now that he's in glory? Listen to what he went on to say in the letter to his father-in-law. Can you consent to all this? In hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory, with the crown of the righteous, brightened with the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Saviour from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. You can see the cost, you can see the reward as well. In hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory. With the crown of the righteous. Brightened with praise. From the heathen saved through her means. Foresee the reward. Be encouraged friends. As we go out and serve. We have a reward. The reward is life. It's the crown of the righteous. We have, to, we have to bear this in mind. We have to foresee it. We have to hold on to it. No hardship goes unnoticed by heaven. No separation from family goes unnoticed by heaven. No dying to self goes unnoticed by heaven. And here's the most awesome thing of all whatever we give, we cannot outgive God. We give our lives and He gives abundant life. We give our lives and He gives us Himself. And when we lose everything, then begin our best days. When we lose everything, then begin our best days. For any here this morning who aren't yet Christians, I speak to you for a moment. Are you trying to find your life in this world and find all your joy and all your pleasure in this world? Here's what Jesus says Whoever finds his life will lose it. And Jesus holds out encouragement. Whoever receives a prophet, receives a prophet's reward. Whoever receives a righteous man, receives a righteous man's reward. The reward that I, I've been holding out. Everything I've been trying to encourage the people here with. is offered to you if you receive the message and the messenger. Because if you receive the messenger and the message, you receive Jesus who sent the messenger. And If you receive Jesus, you receive God. In verse 40. When you lose all your life to God you find life. As we finish we started with a hero. Wouldn't it be great if Adoniram Judson wasn't a hero but if rather he was the norm that was the norm. Where does the fuel for that kind of life come from? How can we be fearless? How can we embrace the cost? How can we foresee the reward? How did Judson do all that? Here's what he said. Can you consent to all this? For the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you. For the sake of the perishing immortal souls. For the sake of Zion and the glory of God. He fixed his eyes on Jesus. For the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you. This is the heart of it. This is the key to the whole passage, friends. Fix our eyes on Jesus. How do we know that the truth will come out and that we will be vindicated? Verse twenty-five. It is enough for the student to be like the teacher, the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Belzebub, how much more the members of his household? It's the head of the house was being picked on. It's the head of the house. Who was being called Beelzebub. And yet the truth is out. And he's been vindicated. And by rising from the dead. All know that he's the son of God. How can we not fear those. Who kill the body. Because he didn't fear those who could kill the body. But rather he feared the one who could destroy. Both body and soul. And he cried out, why have you forsaken me? So that we could have our sins forgiven and not be forsaken. And so there might be no reason for God to destroy our body and soul in hell. How do we know that we're worth more than many sparrows? God gave us some. God gave us some not to save a sparrow. Not to save many sparrows. God gave his son to save you. How can we embrace the cost of being separated from family, from loved ones? Because he knows the pain of separation from family. He endured the pain of separation from his father in heaven. And all the intimacy and joy that came with that. His own flesh and blood thought he was a madman. His own people, his brothers, the Israelites, put him to death. He knows that pain. And he embraced it. How can we embrace the cost of giving even our lives? We take up the cross and we follow him. And anything that we give up, even up to our lives, is infinitely less than anything he gave up. Because we see in him that the path of the cross is the path to victory, and that the path of suffering is the path to victory, and that in giving up our lives, we gain life. How can we be sure of a reward? Because he has entered into his reward, and now he is all power and all authority, and he's the subjection of the nations. And the praise of the angels and the redeemed in heaven. He is his reward. How do we endure suffering and mission? Hebrews 12 verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him. Who for the reward set before him. Endured the cross. Scorned at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. Amen.